Today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Ukraine has launched a counteroffensive. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating. Share it with a friend. All that good stuff helps spread the word, helps spread the mission of getting some Christian perspective out there in the news. You just don't see a lot of that these days. So joining me as always to get through it, Trey Gons Phillips from CBN's Faith Wire. What's going on, Trey? Happy Tuesday. It's a good Tuesday. Good what we call it mini Monday, Mini right? Monday. It's a great day uh, to be alive. Any day you've got air in your lungs. I mean, honestly, right. that's the perspective to start with. I mean, I think it's easy to get bogged down with the craziness of the world and just a good reminder, hey, praise God for another day. Uh, here on this awesome planet that he's created to go do yeah. whatever it is he's got willed for us today. If you have that as your perspective, then I think the other stuff, yeah, it's going to be tricky and there are going to be some down days. But I think if you let that frame your perspective overall, yeah, you're in for a better day. Welcome to our sermon here on a mini Monday. That's, <laughs> that's Trey and I's sermon. But uh, we, got a, we got a lot coming up on the podcast today. Trey, you are going to be looking at an interesting story here about a religious community that is trying to rebuild something with the shape of a cross, and there's backlash happening. So we'll get into the details there on that. And also on the main thing, increasingly sexualized kids' content. Why are content creators becoming so bold in targeting kids? Billy Hallowell investigates that First up today, the news in 90 seconds. Ukraine starting a new offensive against the Russian-held southern areas that they've uh, kind of been holding on to here for some time now. And finally, everyone's been waiting for Ukraine to make a move. It looks like they have done so. This is as UN inspectors are set to visit that Ukraine reactor complex this week where each side is blaming the other for the shellings that are happening uh, near this nuclear power plant. Russia also tried to dismiss the offensive. They called it, um, they said it failed miserably, quote unquote, though CBN contributor Chuck Holton reported on that open air museum. If you haven't seen that, go look at CBN News's YouTube channel. Amazing footage there. These destroyed Russian tanks are just out in the streets of Ukraine. They put them out there so that citizens could go by and look at them. And it's all, it's just like all these destroyed tanks all over the place. It's amazing. Well, the Justice Department says they've already reviewed documents seized by former President Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. They apparently claim there's a limited set of documents that could include information that's protected by attorney-client privilege. And so now the court will be either asking Trump's team if they're asserting the privilege or acting on its own and keeping the material away from investigators. And the next hearing in that case is scheduled for Thursday afternoon, and three California churches do not have to pay for elective abortions in their healthcare insurance plans, winning. That's an eight-year-long legal battle against the state after a federal court ruled in their favor. Those are just some of the headlines happening today. You can check out more like it over at cbnnews.com. So, Trey, this um, Trump fiasco, the, the raid that's been criticized, it's become a political potato. This is going to probably be the biggest thing heading in to uh, the, these elections coming up. And 
Polls are showing that maybe that doesn't favor into Republicans' hands. The more that Democrats can talk about Trump, it seems to it seems to help them in a way. Yeah, you know, I think Trump. They see Trump as as the the meal ticket for them yeah. politically speaking. I think so because we've seen that for the last several years now. Since Trump has left the White House, he's no longer in D.C. He doesn't have any political power whatsoever. Uh, at least not elected political power. Yet every single thing the Democrats do that the left does. Right. January 6th. Uh, Trump is the talking point yeah. all the time. Uh, so I think they know that if we bring Trump back into the debate, we can win. Uh, so I feel like if we're just looking at Mar-a-Lago in this raid politically, it seems kind of like maybe they're goading him on like, come on, run, run. Because if you run, then we've got a talking point that the media is going to love. Yeah, right. And the media seems to be happy to feast on talking points like that. Despite all of the problems that people are going through, it, it almost feels as if Sometimes the the media and the left are in cahoots a little bit, and it, it's almost really almost incomprehensible that people could actually forget about the pain they were that they experience at the pump with inflation, all these things, these issues going on, and that are harming Americans' pocketbooks, which is usually the number one indicator for elections. Hey, if Americans are struggling, whoever's in is going to have trouble at the polls. And they seem to be challenging that and trying to redirect that attention away from some of the tough things that are going on with the economy and elsewhere. And like you said, make that Trump, make Trump the meal ticket. They know they can rally people in opposition to Trump and the media will will sort of latch on to that. So we'll we'll be keeping an eye on that over at CBNnews.com. Um, but we are going to move into our next story here, Trey. And this is a New Jersey religious community. They've been around since 1869 long time and they're trying to rebuild something here and because of the shape they are getting some some backlash so uh what what is going on here give us the details Okay, so uh, this Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, it's a Methodist group. Uh, they're replacing a pier that was actually destroyed during Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Typically, this would be a pretty innocuous story that, uh, uh, you know, all of no one would really care about, <laughs> uh, except for the fact that at the end of this pier, it has two wings, one on the right and one on the left. Uh, so it looks like a cross. You know, you're not going to notice that necessarily unless you're... Yeah, but drone or something, footage right? Or yeah, something, right. right. So, uh, but it shaped it as a cross. Uh, so the pier on Coney Island actually looks identical to this one that, that's being built in Ocean Grove, and it's been there for many years. Uh, but this one is uh, stirring up a bit of controversy among the community members. So what what has been the response from the community? Because you know, I, I live not far from the Jersey Shore, and I know right people just want to. They like being able to walk on the boardwalks, on the piers. It's just a nice thing to be able to experience down by the beach. So you'd think that regardless of where somebody stands, they'd be like, look, just let them build the pier. It's not <laughs> worth it. We want to get out there back on the beach again. What's the response been from the community? So it's been pretty mixed. Uh, obviously, the the loudest ones uh, are, are the ones that are, you know, in opposition to this. But, you know, Jamie Jackson, she's the COO of the Camp Meeting Association, which owns the land that the pier is being built on. Uh, she said that they make the association no apology for the shape of the pier. Uh, she said this is a religious town founded as such in Ocean Grove. And most people are excited we'll be able to have this pier shaped this way for these purposes. She also said that it just practically makes 
makes sense because it gives patrons and first responders more room to fish or to access the ocean if they they need to. Uh, But Ocean Grove is actually situated right next to a prominent LGBT community, uh, and that's where some of the pushback is originating. So uh, the most prominent critiques come from two people in particular. Uh, This one's interesting. A retired Presbyterian pastor Uh, He said that the pier shape is, quote, Christian bullying, uh, because it's a group of Christians who are wanting to just kind of, you know, force their ideology onto LGBT and non-Christian community members. And then an attorney, Shane Martins, uh, he's gay, and he claimed that the shape of the boardwalk is an obvious sign of, quote, Christian nationalism. Uh, Of course, that's that that nebulous term that's being thrown around all the time by the left and by the media. Uh, And he uh, he failed to give any sort of definition or explanation as to how or why he came to that conclusion. <laughs> Other residents, though, uh, are are glad to see the pier returning. Like you were saying, they haven't had a pier there since 2012. <laughs> right. Most people are just happy to have a pier again, regardless of its shape. Right. And the, the shape of a cross isn't exact. I mean, it's also the do we want to ban the letter T in the alphabet? Because every time <laughs> you see the lowercase T, it's it's in the shape of the cross. And as far as the bullying comment, I find that line of argumentation interesting as well. I mean, has this pastor been around america in the month of june i mean what would he what would he call that when that's all be every corporation in the in the country practically panders to the lgbt community is that lgbt bullying i'd I'd be interested to hear their take on that but there's an interesting backstory here trey with the ocean grove community what give a little give a little uh, background on that yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation. So Ocean Grove, uh, like you were saying earlier on, Dan, was founded more than 150 years ago. Originally, as just a religious retreat. Uh, it was governed by the Methodist Camp Association independently. Uh, but then ultimately, the New Jersey Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional, uh, that that huge pro- property that so many people had moved into couldn't just be governed by essentially a church. Uh, so now it's governed like any other city. Uh, but the weird part is that the camp association still owns all of the land uh, of the city. Uh, so because of that, residents and business owners, they can own their buildings and their homes, uh, but the Methodist group owns all of the land. So all <laughs> of the residents have to sign land lease agreements. And I think the weird thing with this pier is uh, there's backlash from some community members, just a few, not a whole lot. Uh, but the association doesn't really even need their permission at all because they own the land outright. <laughs> That is very interesting. And, uh, you know, again, you go to the outrage over a cross kind of, you know, background, uh, cross shape here on this, given all this background, um, it just seems like it's it's not something worth fighting over. But it it's a sign of the times we're living in here where I mean, we talked about this with Ben Shapiro over the last week or so with him being rejected just for showing up to this podcast thing. We're getting to that place now where just expressing the Christian perspective or the Christian worldview or your Christian faith is going to be a point of contention. And it's really going to be a bold move to do anything in public when you have people like this out here increasing in numbers that seemingly want to want to just cancel us from society. So, what, Trey, what's the plan going ahead on this? What are they going to do? 
You know, it is weird, Dan, that in the era where we're pushing LGBT stuff, the letter T has apparently become controversial. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you want to make of that one. But as yeah. of right now, uh, the plans are still moving ahead. Uh, the pier is expected to be completed, according to the association, uh, by December. So you probably won't want to be out on the pier in December in New Jersey. It'll no. be a little cold, but it'll be ready for the spring. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing that and uh, hopefully it just moves forward without any trouble and people can start enjoying the water again. Trey, thanks so much for that story. And that leads us into our main thing for today. And I think it's been not lost on any of us here who have been paying even half attention that the amount of sexualized kids content out there is increasing. And so the question is, why are so many content creators becoming so bold in targeting kids? Well, Billy Hallowell investigates that on today's Main Thing. In the wake of controversy over a same-sex kiss in a Netflix animated series called Jurassic World Camp Crustaceous, a media expert is sounding the alarm on increasingly sexualized kids' content. I sat down with Melissa Henson, program director at the Parents Television and Media Council, to ask her about this sexualization and to find out why she believes it's increasing. Here's what she had to say. Well, I think there are a couple of converging trends here. Um, one is the infantilization of adults, and the other is the sexualization of children, and those have sort of met in, in, in an uncomfortable place. Because at the same time, we're seeing networks producing animated programs that they claim are for adult audiences, the mature rated, but the themes and the characters involved uh, are often minors. So we're looking at uh, programs like Big Mouth on Netflix or Human Resources on, on Netflix, which sexualize children in some very troubling ways. But again, this series are rated TVMA. So either they're lying about who the target audience is for these programs, or they're encouraging adult viewers to, um, to sexualize and view children, you know, 12, 13 years old as, as sexual objects. And either way, it's it's pretty disturbing. Well, you mentioned something interesting there. Uh, you know, the first reason that you sort of pointed out, there's been a lot of conversation about the fact that adults engaging in certain things, adult behavior, um, for a long time, up until recently, adults doing things, that was an adult thing. It wouldn't be, kids would never be brought into it. But that line seems to be fading away. We're seeing lots of examples of what you just highlighted. And your organization, the Parents Television Council, this is what you guys look at. You track this content. What has been most disturbing to you, even in the last maybe two years that you've seen along these trend lines? Yeah. Well, um, because of COVID, a, a lot of people changed their viewing patterns and viewing habits. And we saw streaming video just take off uh, during the, the COVID lockdowns. And so streaming is, is, is dominant in, in terms of the way people consume media. The difficulty is, of course, that um, this is an unregulated industry. Um, broadcast television was subject to FCC indecency regulations. Even original cable programming, while not subject to FCC regulations, was held in check by advertisers. For the most part, these streaming services are supported just by subscriber revenue. They're, they're, um, uh, they're not uh, ad advertiser supported. 
Um, so what we're seeing is that pretty much anything goes on these streaming services. And what we are seeing is the proliferation of, of really adult content, uh, sexual content, nudity on a scale that you would never have seen on broadcast or cable television. Um, but in addition, they are bringing younger and younger children and younger and younger characters into these stories. So we're seeing, for example, Euphoria on HBO Max which is supposed to be set in high school. And so they're showing these high school age characters nude. They're showing these high school age characters in, engaged in sex acts. Um, this is, as far as I'm aware, unprecedented. You know, and that's interesting because the latest example that has a lot of people upset is this Netflix series, Jurassic World Camp Crustaceous. This is a show that has gone on, I believe it's in its fifth season. In that fifth season, there is a same-sex kiss and relationship between two of the female animated characters who I believe are underage characters. They're depicting, just as you were saying in Euphoria, you know, you're talking about high school-age kids or young kids. I, I mean, how do you react to that, that Netflix in an animated show, a big brand? I mean, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, this is a big, big brand that they would start bringing this into that sort of kids' content. That is a very troubling um, pattern that we're seeing, too. You know, for a long time, the criticism with the Disney Channel, um, all of the original live-action series that they had on the Disney Channel, the criticism I would hear from my parent friends was, you know, it's all about relationships and dating, and these characters are so young, and why are they so concerned about getting these characters in relationships and dating? This is not reality for the vast majority of kids who are, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, they're not thinking about dating yet. And yet this is being shoved down their throats on the Disney Channel. And I think this is just an extension where they're showing these kids, very young kids, who, you know, in the real world would probably not even be interested in dating. All of a sudden they're, they're getting engaged in, in, um, in, in relationships and engaging in sexual behavior that is way beyond the experience of the average child. For more from the Parents Television and Media Council, you can head over to parentstv.org. That's parentstv.org. Lots of resources, family reviews, and plenty of information for parents looking to protect their kids from the media. All right, Billy, thanks so much for that conversation there. And that leaves us with time for one final thing today here. And Trey, we're going to take a look at James. Always a good book to go to, but we're looking in James 1 today. Yeah, you know, there's so much practical wisdom in James, and it's not a big book, so it doesn't take long to get through it, but there's a lot there. So I want to look at James 1, 22 through 25. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Like, I think we have a tendency in our culture, even within Christian culture, to kind of neuter God's word, to close the book and walk away and, and not think anything of it. But in reality, as a believer, if we're not living out the commands of God, are we really living a redeemed and sanctified life? I think the answer is no. Yeah. And it's, it's always an interesting sort of um, existence between these two things, faith and works. Now, of course, you're not justified by your works. We're justified justified by faith. It was clearly said in Ephesians 2. But you also see, at the same time, over and over in the Bible, again, in the Old Testament with kings and in verses like this, where it's kind of an if-then. Hey, 
if you do this, if you obey my commands, if you follow my laws, if you, you know, don't worship idols and do like your fathers did, then you will be blessed. And then we'll, you know, God will help you through these things. And so it's interesting because God, yes, God is sovereign over everything, but then we are commanded to follow his word and to be doers of it, not just hearers. We're going to be as believers marked by the things we do uh, in response to that grace that we've been given by Jesus. So um, it's it's interesting how all those things work together. And honestly, when I really start thinking about how can those all fit perfectly, I know they do, but it's like you can see why people sit here and debate this stuff all the time as well. Yeah, well, to your point, Dan, about justification and sanctification, I think a really succinct way to remember it is uh, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you, right? That's that's the thing that yeah. you hear all the time, and I always wonder, like, man, is there enough evidence to convict me yeah. of being a Christian? And I think the answer for us should be yes. Yeah, and as one of my uh, pastors used to always say, you know, that God's got enough undercover Christians, He's got enough undercover Christians who are, there is no evidence out there of their faith. And so that is convict. I know that's convicting to all of us. So every one of us, because none of us are fully actualized as Christians living perfectly. We're, we're on a sanctification road and that road doesn't end until we're on the other side of eternity. And so it's good encouragement to read scriptures like that and to make sure, like you said, that if we're convicted of being a Christian, that There'll be plenty of works to show that uh, they can prove that case. So, all right, that's where we're going to have to leave it today. Uh, As always, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for uh, being part of this podcast. We appreciate you being here. And, um, you know, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we're going to be back here tomorrow with more. You can head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And um, hope you have a great rest rest of your day. God bless. See you tomorrow.